Good morning again. Father God, we just ask you to meet us right here where we are right now. We ask you, Lord God, to uh, open our hearts, our minds, our ears, Lord God. It's my desire, God, that you use me however you desire, God, to speak to your people. We say again, Lord God, not my will, but your will. Amen. It's good to be here. I'm going to step up just a little bit. It's good to be here at uh, sharing the morning service with you all. This is my third time, and uh, I feel like I'm an old pro now. <laughs> I even turned on the right exit. <laughs> no, um, but it's good to be here. I appreciate my, my friend and my brother in Christ, Pastor Carl, inviting me to be here. Again, my name is Pastor Melvin Burns. I I co-pastor a church in Muskegon Heights, Michigan, um, with uh, some of Doug Malier, some of you may know. Uh, he and I merged our churches together about two and a half years ago. Um, he had been pastoring about 20 years. I've been pastoring about 15 years. So we got this crazy idea that we could put two churches together and be one church, uh, one church predominantly white, one church predominantly black. And we, this crazy idea that this could work. Uh, and so far, we're still pretty crazy because it's working. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're thankful to God. Um, people always ask, well, how does it work? And the one thing after we get God grace, we say it works because people want it to work, which is an amazing thing about the people that God allows us to minister. And so today I want to just um, share with you for a few minutes. Um, I've seen Pastor Carla told me the series he's going to be teaching about the strangest things in the Bible. And uh, I hope I won't steal any thunder, but it, I was teaching a message Wednesday. Uh, I've been in a series about uh, failure uh, and how we recover from failure. And so uh, and that was kind of on my heart as I was praying about what to share with you today. And the title of my message is Keep the Mystery. Keep the Mystery. Now, uh, people that know me know I enjoy mystery novels. I'm a uh, James Patterson, uh, Tom Clancy, um, uh, Walter Mosley, uh, Robert Parker. Those are my, my books. Of course, half those guys are dead now. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> those are my kind of books. Uh, I like movies like that. You know, not, uh, you know, they, I like to follow the story along and how, watch how people solve problems and overcome obstacles along the way. Um, now, even when I want to read a book like that, I'll read the reviews. And even when I read the spoilers, it doesn't matter to me because I still want to know how the story unfolds. Some one of those people, you know, a new Marvel movie comes out. You know, I don't, I don't, you can tell me the ending, I'm still going to see it because I don't know how they got there. Uh, so I still enjoy that. Now, on the other hand, there's some movies I've only seen once in my life and I just felt like I didn't see them again. Anybody ever seen The Sting? I saw it once and I just kind of didn't need to see it again. I won't tell you how it, if you haven't seen it, I won't ruin it for you. Um, a movie years ago, The Crying Game, nobody told you in advance what was going to happen. <laughs> then you started to go, oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't need to see it again. If you haven't seen it, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I don't watch horror suspense movies much. There was a movie called The Sixth Sense. Have you ever seen that one? I only need, you know, again, at the end you go, wow. And you only, I, I didn't need to see it again. I kind of I got it. It's a good movie, but after that happens, okay, once you know it once, it kind of, okay, 
I don't need to, that's me, I don't need to see it again. On the other hand, I seem to be able to watch Law and Order endlessly. <laughs> I've watched them so much that I wait for certain parts so I can say the dialogue along with them. <laughs> and I play this game with myself is when they first come on, I try to see how long it takes me to guess what's going to happen at the end. Because I'm sure I've seen every episode at least three or four times. Uh, and so I, I like the process of the show. Well, today I want to talk to you about what Apostle calls God's mystery. You see, after the resurrection, Christ was meeting with his disciples and apostles. And it tells us in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, uh, they thought, this is now it. They said, is this the time that you're not going to restore the kingdom? I mean, they, they recognize he's the Messiah. I mean, this dude, he died, he came back. At this point, you know, he's, he's pretty special because none of the other rabbis did that. So, you know, he got some stuff that the other ones didn't have. And so they're thinking, okay, now he's going to do it. We know we, we thought, you know, before he went to the cross, he was going to raise up an army and Israel was going to be Israel. But now if you're okay, we've seen the power that raised the dead. Is this now the time? And instead, as you know, the text goes and says, uh, instead, as Jesus does, he did something they didn't expect. It says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Then he said, now go wait. Again, a, a very Jesus kind of thing to do. Go wait after they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, in line with today's theme, we know that Christ is the main character in God's story of plan for redemption for all of us. And the Apostle Paul tells us that there was more to God's plan than they knew when Christ was here, that they knew when he was sitting with them in that room in the first book of Acts, and there's still even more that's continually being revealed to us. If you had a text scripture for today, I'd tell you to write or memorize your notes, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, Surely you have heard the administration of God's grace that was given to you, was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This, okay, I'm gonna, if you don't know, I'm going to ruin it for you now. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of 
Christ Jesus. And if you uh, read the apostles' writings, he repeats the same thing in um, Romans 16. No, God has given me this message to take to the Gentiles. It was a mystery previously unknown. He says in Colossians 1, 25 and 26, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. And what I want to present to you today is not just the mystery of Christ, but there's a continual mystery about Christ that's being unfolded before us. Christ didn't come just to restore Israel. God's plan was to unify Jews and Gentiles in a body we call the church, in our congregations, in our parishes, in our presbytery. Now today it probably doesn't seem that shocking to say that. But if we understand historically, what he was saying was, I'm trying to pick two things that could be as far apart as you could imagine. So if you said, we're going to have Jews and Gentiles in the same church, everybody would have went, oh, are you kidding me? That's the same thing, Paul, when he's trying to get you to understand this strange thing that Christ is going to do, this mysterious thing that he's going to do. He says in Galatians 3, he says, now those of us that are in Christ, that are called children of God, we're baptized into one Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Be shocked. There's neither slave nor free. <gasps> there is neither male nor female. He's picking. Those aren't the only things. What he's saying is you think of two things that are as far apart as you can imagine. Or let me say it this way. Think of somebody that you could not dislike more. You think it too hard. <laughs> that came pretty quick. He's like, oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> and I didn't even talk to you before the service. He's <laughs> like, oh, I know the guy. That person that if you had to get reservation tickets for heaven, you'd like, okay, I want one far as away from as possible. Christ came so you all could sit side by side, share a seat, pass water along each other. That's a mystery. Because in us, there ain't no way that's happening. We have neighbors that we can live next to for years, watch their kids grow up, and we will build a fence, a wall, get a dog or something just to make sure we don't interact with each other. Let alone expect to see them in heaven with us. We might wave to them on Sunday morning because it's Sunday. But. So that's the, that's the idea he was trying to get across is when Christ comes, these things that you don't expect that could seem as far apart as possible are now going to happen. So this mystery is not just manifested because we join a church. That's not it. In fact, he says in Colossians 1.28, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What he says is, we're going to join a body and we're going to be taught wisdom. 
and we're going to mature. Now understand that the Apostle Paul has absolutely one definition for wisdom. It is knowing Christ. Okay, how fancy you try to make it, that's how he sees wisdom. You know Christ. If you read the Corinthians, he makes it very clear. The unwise don't know Christ. The wise do. And so, hopefully today, I want to respectfully, even if contentiously, put before you the mystery which Paul was speaking about Christ. Christ is and should be a mystery that's being revealed to us, and we should appreciate it and embrace it. I'm 50, I was going to say 59, I'll be 59 next week. I remember a, a, a friend of mine turned 40, and he says, well, Melvin, what's the difference between 40 and 50? And I said, this is the difference. When you turn 50, you start your sentences with your age. You can't fool me, I'm 58 years old. I've heard that down all my life, and I'm 58 years old now. And so you start to declare, at 50s and up, you declare your age in many of your statements. And so what happens is we often reach an age or a point in life when we decide we know enough. We've heard enough, and we've seen enough. You may decide at some point, you know what? I don't care what they do next. There will never be any music better than the 60s and 70s Motown music. I don't care what they do. I don't care what new instruments they come up with. It'll never be better than that. I don't care what basketball player comes next. There will never be anybody better than Michael Jordan. There'll never be anybody better than uh, Kareem. You just make a decision that I don't care. That's just it. And we stop right there. We decide it's no longer important for us to keep up with the latest fashion trends. Are they wearing the tires skinny? Are they wearing them flat? Are the heels high? Are they low? Are the pants skinny? Are they wide? We just decide, you know what? I don't need to keep up with all that. In fact, what we decide is we're comfortable with our choices and preferences. And that seems pretty good to us because we've reached that age. We've seen enough. We've done enough. And as you probably know, you know, I'm setting a trap for you, right? So if you found along, you have just stepped in my trap. All right? Comfortable is not represented in the Ten Commandments. Comfortable is not represented in the Beatitudes. It's not one of the spiritual gifts. Nor do you see comfortable when we talk about living out the fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing comfortable about any of that. Even when John gives us his revelation of the seven churches. Some understanding of when time be like. There ain't a whole lot of, well, just sit back and be comfortable. It doesn't read like that. It's not part of his revelation. Keep in mind, I'm still with my theme talking about the mystery found in Christ. See, in 1 John 3, 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, 
You might be comfortable, but what is really supposed to happen is you don't know. You're supposed to continue to change and becoming something until you see Christ. You should still be becoming something. You don't know. You know that, that, that beautiful song, uh, I Can Only Imagine? We think we know what heaven is like. We think what it'll be, we know what it will be like when we, when we finally meet our Lord and Savior. We think we have an idea, but really, the, the song I had upon it, I, you know, I can only imagine. There's all these reactions I might have. Well, it's kind of the same way. If we're at that place that we've decided this is just how I am. And I, and I say this all times. If we say things like, well, that's just how I am. That's just how I'm made. That's just how my family is. Those are so contrary to the life of a believer. They're so defiant against God and what he wants to do to us. That's the problem with the comfortness. We're not maturing as believers, and we're loosening the grip on the mystery that is Christ. There's an example of people like this in the book of John. Remember there was a woman caught in adultery? Now, if you're one of those, look, it's adultery. The book calls for stoning her. Bring me my rocks. Imagine how much you miss out about understanding what Christ is trying to get us to understand about forgiveness. We should always stay in amazement and in wonder about how Christ loves and forgives and makes us whole and makes us righteous. We ought to stay amazed by that. Not just in that story, but in our everyday life. Otherwise, we'll start to think what he did for us, we, we were worthy of it. We'll start to think we were good enough for it. And contrary, some other people are not. Now, I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood in my message. Uh, certainly, we live in a day and time when we've seen like we've probably seen sin like we've probably never seen before in our lifetimes. Yet there is still the mystery of Christ and the church. And what it says is that no matter how great we see sin, it says where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. The more you see sin, the more grace you should see. So in the body of Christ, in the church, we should hope to find people as deplorable as that woman caught in adultery. As shocking as a Samaritan woman with five husbands is shacking up with another dude. We should find people as appalling as that in the church. We should expect to find people that are involved in murder like the Apostle Paul and liars and cheaters and sexually immoral people. We should expect to find them. Now, you might be thinking I'm talking about, well, yeah, people 
who've been saved and cleaned up and now look decent enough to be at church with us, you'd fall into my second trap. No. You see, it's easy to show grace to people after they've changed. That's not much of a mystery. I was in Israel last year and I got a revelation about a lot of things. When we're up on this mountain, you've heard of Masada. It's a palace and it's a fortress up on a mountain. And we're up there and we're being toured around. I looked out and you realize when you're up there, you can see people who would be two or three days journey away. And what, what I realize is, in that part of the country, they talk about how big hospitality is. And so what I realized is when you see people traveling, coming in your direction, you got to make a decision. Are they going to be friends? Am I going to put out the table, bring water and food, knowing they've had a rough journey? Or do I close my gates, fortify myself because I don't know these people, what they're like, and I got to be prepared? As I thought about that, again, it gave me an appreciation for hospitality, but it also makes me think about the mystery that is in Christ. You see, when people's lives are distant and as far away from Christ as you could imagine, when their lifestyles are so far away from a Christ-centered life, when we find them deplorable, a little, yeah. That's when it's time to make an inexplicable decision to be gracious. That's when we decide it's not about us. It's not about my preferences. That's when we decide this life that I live in Christ is an absolute mystery. Because otherwise I would not do the things I'm doing. I wouldn't be gracious. I wouldn't be hospitable. I wouldn't be tolerant. I wouldn't be forgivable. Forgiving. If we give in to our own preferences and our own tastes and our own likes and dislikes. The good thing about a mystery is we don't always know what is going to happen next. All right. Bartimaeus went everywhere. And when he left that place, he left blind Bartimaeus. Strange, we still call him blind Bartimaeus, even though he wasn't blind anymore. But after he encountered Christ, he was just Bartimaeus. An inexplicable mystery. And so what's supposed to happen as we're the church when people who are blind and lost, when they encounter us, Something mysterious is supposed to happen because we're so different. So here's my big close. Let us decide that those of us in the body of Christ, when we encounter people that are different, not biblically different, let's just be real, when people with different political views, from different races, from different cultures, from different lifestyles. Uh, let's make sure that our responses are wrapped in the mystery that is 
Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I thank God for the opportunity to share the gospel with you this morning.